Welcome back to the Redneck Tech Podcast, and on this episode, we've got a good buddy of mine named Lane Walter from Colorado who is going to jump on the podcast with us. Um, he has done a lot of field production for Outback Outdoors and some other people as well. He's done a couple of films at the Badland Film Festival, and we're super excited to talk to him. He's the Western guy, so if you want to know Western stuff, he's going to be your guy. So here is Lane Walter. Right here, right here, right here. Right here. You want it? Yeah. What's up, buddy? How are you? What's going on, man? Oh, just hanging out in the office. Um, finally got a little time to try and catch up on some edits, but I'm um, sitting here in jealous rage of you because I just saw that you posted a picture of a a good deer that you killed in Kansas, correct? Yeah, man, that was a fun hunt. I haven't actually whitetail hunted in seven or eight years, so it was fun to get out there, sit in a stand, and then the real fun part was that I killed on my second set. Well, you and after that it was you you after that it was you Westies have a disdain for whitetails. Most of the, most of the Western I, guys that I meet have a have a huge disdain for whitetails. Why is that? Ah, dude, it is completely different. Oh, it's uh, completely different on, than anything. Yeah, you put me on a you put me on a mule deer hunt, on an elk hunt, a sheep hunt, mountain goat, whatever. I can make something happen. I can be moving all day long and trying to make something happen. And I think the biggest thing for most Western guys is you can't really make it happen on a whitetail hunt. Yeah. All you can do is sit there. Like you making it happen is sitting there. That's a complete different mindset than what most western hunts are at least in my opinion like if i'm not if i'm glassing for two hours i'm not seeing anything i'll hike for four hours and go glass there and yeah maybe glassing in the middle of the day but at least i'm still trying to hump around and make something happen and put myself in position and like i think part of it is that i've most Western guys feel like they're making something happen by hiking around and putting that physical exertion into it. And yeah. you just can't do that with whitetails, man. You well, can't force them. And you know, I've had this conversation with man, a bunch of people, essentially what I'm figuring out or what I'm, my two cents are, is, you know, you keep hearing that hunting numbers are down, you know, there's less and less hunters, but I'm from the, you know, I'm from the East coast, grew up whitetail hunting. That's what people do here. And that's what they do in the Midwest. And that's still, by far the most popular form of hunting, but you go out West now and there are more and more and more, in my opinion, more and more people on public land chasing mule deer, chasing elk, oh. chasing pronghorns. And then you come back East or to the Midwest, there are less people whitetail hunting. And I think it's a couple of reasons. And you tell me, you know, which this isn't what the podcast is about, but I talk about this often, but the reason I feel like there are more guys going west and doing more stuff out west is not only because of the public land, not not only because of the public land, it's just the access. It's getting harder and harder and harder to whitetail hunt. It's getting more expensive, harder to find places to hunt. Generally, the public ground sucks unless you have a lot of time to devote to go out there and run trail cameras, hang stands, you know, mess with a bunch of people, which it's, you know, it's getting that way on the Western side too. Like our elk hunt this year in Idaho, I've said this before, but we ran into 11 sets of hunters with three hunters in each group. We ran into 33 hunters. We called in 33 human beings in five days. And it has just progressively gotten worse and worse and worse. Um, I say worse and worse and worse. It's, it depends on what perspective you're looking at. If you're looking at it in terms of, 
getting guys outdoors, it's great in terms of trying to find a you know a good spot and trying to hunt elk. You're in amongst everybody else. You know, what's your what's your thoughts on that? Man, I couldn't agree with you more on basically everything you said. I I would venture that whitetail hunters numbers are down, and that's where we're losing hunting numbers because we are not losing them in elk hunting or mule deer hunting. My spot this year over the counter archery elk in Colorado. I'm packed in ten to twelve miles on horses get into this valley where we've hunted before. My wife was in there two weeks earlier and passed like 12 bulls. And I get in there and the next day, there are 20 other hunters in this basin. Two zero that moved in and all of them backpacked in. None of them have killed an elk and know how to get an elk out when they get it. We have horses in there. It's like, you're going to ruin your meat by the time you get out. So you got these people that are getting new gear that are wanting to go further. It's become um, romanticized. I think to be back there, which is great. I love it. It's totally awesome. I backpack hunt without horses too. It's a good time, but you got to be a little realistic. And I usually, if I'm that far in, I have horses lined up to get my animal out in time. Yeah. Um, so I, I couldn't agree with you more that there are more people every single year. I think I moved camp in six days on a backpack hunt with some of my buddies this year. We moved camp three different times. All of them were, you know, five, six hour hikes in. And we were running into a ton of hunters everywhere we went and no elk that were unpressured. I used to be able to, like just six years ago, I could go back in there and hunt unpressured elk. And I didn't find an unpressured elk this year. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not an elk hunter. I mean, I, I, I it's my favorite thing to hunt. Um, and I've killed a single elk with my bow and that's, you know, on public land, do it yourself over the counter, which I'm pretty proud of, you know, being a guy. Hell yeah, you should be. You know, being a guy from Georgia, you know, and only really have been elk hunting, probably six or seven years really you know which I did 11 elk hunts filming and hunting for myself before I ever laid hands on an elk so you know they say you know public land elk hunting is about a 10 percent deal and the first one I ever laid my hands on is one I killed and I mean we had done some high dollar expensive you know outfitter hunts you know on shows that I'd filmed and not killed elk um and I knew that it was a tough deal. Um, and then, you know, I was pretty proud this last year in Idaho, we ran into that many people and we were trying to film some stuff and trying to, you know, make some content while we were there. And we ended up calling in, a, a, I never, I didn't get to see him. I called him in for the guys that were in front cause I, I dropped back to call and they called in what sounded like about a, you know, 300 inch wool on that highly pressured area. Didn't get a shot. They were trying to get set up. And of course he came in, you know, came in hot and heavy and couldn't get a shot. But I mean that to me, that was a success to be able to call yeah. an elk into a place like that with that much competition. I mean, dude, it took us an hour and a half the day we got there just to find a place to put up, set up camp. We drove up and down these roads and every little pull off had somebody camping in. I mean, every single one. And you know, you know how that it's just, it's so disheartening. We just I drove, I drove from Georgia to Idaho. It was a 30 some odd hour straight shot and I get there and cannot find a place to camp. It was deflating to say the least, but. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would have drove somewhere else. Yeah. Well, it it drives me loose. I hate running into, but that's the thing, but that's also the thing with, you know, with, with the guys from the East coast or the guys from the Midwest is we don't live out there. So for us to get to go out there and hunt, we either have to spend an amazing amount of time e-scouting or we have to have Intel from somebody there on the ground. 
And exactly. The, and the intel that yeah. we had was that's where we needed to be. And we got there and apparently everyone else got the same intel. So, you know, we, we, we did our best for five days. We got stranded on the mountain and uh, had a grizzly bear come in on us. It was a great, good, great, good time. And, um, sounds like a, sounds like an awesome God, time. Dude, it was, it was, <laughs> it was a rough trip, but anyway, I haven't let you introduce yourself yet. I kind of did a, a piss poor job at the beginning of it, um, intro on you, but I want you to introduce yourself and what you do, who you work for and all that good stuff. Right on. Um, yeah. So Lane Walter, uh, I, uh, I live in Loveland, Colorado. I do a lot of film work for, I guess now I'm a, uh, I've worked my way into a, a co-hosting role with Outback Outdoors and then I film for Outback Outdoors and then I do a lot of freelance work, I'll do stuff, uh, pure hunting, I've done stuff with Eastman's, I'll sell photos to different companies, uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, just had one of my photos in their magazine which made me totally pumped. Very cool. Um, yeah, oh dude, I was stoked, I actually I had that magazine up on my wall already, along with the check. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, big time western bow hunter, I love love chasing animals, um, I, I love rifle hunting, but bow hunting is definitely my passion, I grew up as a competitive archer and then got into hunting, and so that has really helped me with my, with my hunting and my shooting and stuff, and getting me into it. Yeah, you've done quite a few of those uh, alpha bow hunting challenges and stuff, haven't you? Yeah, man. I actually uh, I won the nationals the first year they had a nationals, and that was fun. And I keep getting into the alpha bracket, and then I keep screwing it up. But it's a dude, that's a good time. That is the closest competition I've found to mimic buck fever. The first time I shot that course, I've hit because you're shooting at clay targets with a high heart rate. Just mm-hmm. a quick breakdown of it, and. I can normally hit almost anything I'm shooting at under 40 yards. And I think I hit one clay target at like 18 yards and everything else I missed on that. Like I was missing 20 yard shots, just these chip shots, just because it just mimicked it so much. And it, for guys that struggle with like that buck fever, and it, it's a great thing to get you to control your mind when you're shooting and when you're hunting and when it, the chips are down. And I think that situation I just had in the tree stand yesterday was a perfect example of being able to, your heart rate spikes and then control it and get right back down. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, um, I've, I've done a lot of filming with a lot of people and the guys that can really slow themselves down and make that shot and, and, and be a killer right there at the moment of truth, especially when there's a camera there and there's a lot of, most of the time, I mean, you, you know how much production costs for some of these shows, you know, oh, there's, yeah. there's essentially a lot of time and money on the line for guys to, to make it happen. That's a, that's something that has to be trained into you. That's something I've always, oh, I, I've always, um, really admired Michael Waddell for that because I, I think in all the years I've watched him, I've seen him screw up maybe one time. And it's like as many opportunities as that guy's got, he has got ice in his veins when it comes down to getting a shot off and making a good shot. And an animal comes in in front of Michael Waddell, it's dying. Yep. Yep. And it's it's just good. He's one of those killers. You yep. got guys that are hunters. You have guys that are just stone cold killers. Yep. Uh, my father-in-law is one of those killers, man. You'll never, people never know who he is because he doesn't have social media or any of that stuff. Um, but just one of the, he's just a killer. And when you're with him and if an animal gets in front of him and he wants to kill it, it will die. Yeah. And you have those people that no matter what's going to happen, they're going to kill. Then you have hunters that, yeah, they're going to kill stuff, but it's not every single time. It's not guaranteed. Yeah. So and it's going to be a chore I'm working when my they way. do. I'd like to some point in my life 
be a killer. I still make mistakes <laughs> constantly. Oh, yeah. Me too, buddy. More often than not. Yeah, I, I hear that, dude. I this year elk hunting, I felt like I I felt like I made every mistake in the book that I made the first year I was elk hunting. But oh well. Yeah. And then I had situations like yesterday. Right, I had a uh, had a doe coming in on my tree stand. that literally broke out from underneath my feet. Luckily, I was wearing my harness, and I only dropped a couple inches because it was just one of the uh, metal stays holding it up. Mm-hmm. It was like a five or six inch drop. Totally spiked my heart rate, and then 20 seconds later, I had to put my pin on that doe and shooter. Dang. And I really think if I hadn't been doing those alphas for the past three or four years, that I would have missed that doe. But I was able to be like, all right, cool. My heart rate spiked. I've been here before. My I'm used to shooting like this, and I was able to just execute that shot, and she went down literally a yard away from where I shot her. That's awesome. Well, I wanted to get into. So, are you still a firefighter as well, or is that? Yeah, something? I am. Uh, yeah, I'm a lieutenant with the Denver Fire Department. Um, so, so uh, you do a lot of stuff. So you've got, yeah, you've got, you're a firefighter, you do freelance, you hunt as much as you can. I know you've got a couple of kids. So yeah, I got two I mean, young boys and yeah, a wife that the alpha, do the, yeah, the stuff. alpha bow hunting stuff. So like, all right, so what don't you do? So that might be the better question. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of, you've basically named everything I do. And that's, that's about my life right now. Uh, getting into some jujitsu stuff. But other than that, that's. I mean, hunting with my boys, hanging out with my boys, my wife when I'm home, and then, yeah, filming and hunting and fire department. That's about it, dude. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's enough. That's a full plate right there. Um, oh, yeah. Well, uh, how did you how did you get into this? How did you get into the outdoor uh, filming and production? So I really got into bow hunting when I was about 18, and then the next year I met my, my now wife and then her dad and really got hardcore into the backpack bow hunting with them and right around that time i was starting to shoot a bunch of 3d shoots instead of target archery shoots and i met a guy named travis stolzfus who had just started doing stuff without back outdoors or just started out back outdoors as a web-based show and he hit me up a couple times about hey can you come film this can you come film that and at the time i was working in the oil field and i just didn't have the time off to be able to do it and then a couple of years later, he had something on Facebook about, hey, he was looking for a video editing intern. And I was with the fire department, didn't have kids yet, so I had a lot more free time. And I hit him up and he was like, well, you already know how to hunt. I want to make you a cameraman. So that night I was at his place getting a camera in my hands, for, like a real camera in the hands for the first time. I'd always film my hunts with like a little handy cam because I thought it was cool. And then I'd come back and watch it once and it'd be done. Yeah. And yeah, he started teaching me that night. And then the next Wednesday I was out filming him at the 3D shoot where we'd always shoot together and ended up going to a couple of film schools that he put me through and filming for him for free for a couple of years. And then when I got to a point to where he was like, okay, we're going to start paying you. And then I started doing other stuff and made a little film that got into the full draft film festival and started doing stuff. Like I filmed Brian Barney with Eastman's first backcountry hunt that was filmed with Eastman's and then started doing some stuff with Willie with pure hunting and yeah, just kind of grew out from there. That's awesome. So you've been doing it for about how long? Oh shoot. I think I'm at seven years, seven six years? or seven years at least. Yeah. I, when I first started the five, the, like Canon had just really come out with their first five D that was just the cat's meow. Right. Yeah. And then a couple years later, the six D came out and that was cool because their ISO 
I remember it was really awesome that we didn't really worry about shoot camera light versus shooting light anymore. That's where it like almost evened out the playing field of we're not waiting on camera light. We can still force a shot if we have shooting light. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. So like that's, so whenever, when did the 60 come out? What was that? Probably. It was when I, it was when I was at sub seven. So it was probably 13, 14, somewhere in there, maybe, yeah. maybe 12, somewhere around in there. Yeah. I remember being on a hunt with Dustin Etheridge in California and we were just, we thought it was so cool that we could film that late. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, now they've got the Sonys that'll see in the dark. So. Um, exactly. Oh yeah. I was just uh, my cameraman out in, in Kansas. I'm sitting there and he, he's like, Hey, I, I called in this coyote right at the end of my first sit. And he was like, are you going to shoot it? I was like, I can't see it, dude. And he looked <laughs> up and he was like, Oh, I can see it perfectly in the camera. <laughs> yeah. Those things are virtual night vision. Um, the, yeah, the, the, the ISO on, and the, the low light capabilities on those cameras is crazy. And I had one, I just, I wasn't a huge fan of the form factor. It just felt so little in my hands. And I was so used to, you know, the Canon DSLRs, you know, they're kind of a little bigger and beefier. And, you know, I've got a pretty big hand as it is. And I mean, those Sonys are unbelievable, but I went back to my Canons and I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with them so far because we've gotten to where we're doing as much picture stuff as we are, you know, video stuff. And um, I just, I just love a Canon to take pictures with. I love my Sony's dude. Yeah. I, I, I really do. I, I switched from Canon and I never look back. I, I have an a seven R two sitting right here next to me right now. My a seven, my a seven R three is awesome. And now I need to, uh, I, I've been looking at that R four just cause of the way that it, it, it's the one complaint I've had on the Sony's has been their weather sealed mm-hmm. and that R four is supposed to be way awesome on the weather sealed. So at some point I'll probably get that too. So how, how are they doing? I know early on, I think it was the a seven, or the, the R2 or the R, what the R3 is, R2, really chewed batteries really badly. Horrible and I, batteries. Yeah. And holy the, cow. And the R3 batteries. did better. The R3 is way better on camera batteries. Okay. I'd say it's comparable to a Canon now. But that R, yeah, you're, you're correct. That R2, man, I was changing batteries all the time. Yeah. I loved the image that that, um, that R2 shot because that's what I had was an R2 um, for a little while. And just I couldn't get over the, how little it was in my hand. I love the image that it, you know, that it gave. I love the, um, the pictures that it took. And I love, you know, all those things. I just couldn't get over the form factor. So I went back to my cannons and now my cannons are a little too heavy to run on my gimbal. So I'm debating on, all right, am I going to buy another Sony? That, they did make the R3 a little bit bigger. And I believe the R4 is about the same size as the, really uh, it's the R3. And it's, it's nice. It fits in my hand really well. I like it, but I like the smaller one. I have big hands too. I wear a, XL or a double XL glove most of the time. And it's still, I just, I think I'm used to it now to where I love it. Yeah. It's so with me. what's some, uh, what's some other gear that you're running? Some support gear, you know, tripods, heads, all that good stuff. Oh, I got a Manfrotto. Uh, what is it? The 501 fluid head is what I'm running for most of my heads. And then the, or the MVH 500. And then I just, I have a slick tripod for most of my stuff since most of my stuff is backcountry. Yeah. Well, I wanted a solid tripod that I could just beat the heck out of. Yeah. And I know at some point I'm going to break it. <laughs> like almost all of my gear at some point I will break it right now. I have a lens at Sony getting fixed and I, my R2 screen is actually broke right now. So I'm a little rough on gear. Oh, so, well, anybody in this industry is rough on gear. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, that's um, kind of what that, I wanted that was you just to do. Yeah, oh, <laughs> well, I mean, I tell people all the time, I'm like, if you're going to buy used gear, buy it from someone off eBay. It looks like it's been in a, in a studio. Don't ever buy it used from somebody that does this for a living because you don't gonna, buy it from, you don't buy it from an outdoor. No, because yeah, no. it's going to look like it's been drugged behind a truck. That's what I was talking to well, Ryder about the other day is, I was like, we need to get off the road long enough so we can send all of our stuff in to be cleaned because it right now it looks like we're poor white trash because all of our cameras are dirty and dusty. Like he showed me on the, the other day, he's like, this is when you know you're not a producer. And he showed me the cam- the tripod head and it had blood all down the side of it where he had where he would <laughs> where he had like laid it down in the blood like moving around a deer or something. And and I was like, you know, that's that's the truth. We need to take the time to clean them. But that's kind of what I wanted you to get into is you, you do more about country stuff than, than we do. I mean, we do a good bit of elk hunting, but most of our elk hunts, and I'll be completely honest, they're not cush, but they're not backcountry either. They're, they're kind of in, in between. So you're going to be doing a lot more backpacking, you know, going out and being super, you have to be super small with your gear and light with your gear because you're traveling a lot further. And I think that's going to be relatable to most guys listening. So what's, you know, kind of go through your setup and how you approach doing maybe, you know, a week backcountry elk hunt. On my, so the first thing I started with my pack, I just, I, I have to have a pack that can carry all my gear and all my, and then not just all my camera gear, but then everything else that needs to go with a backpacking hunt too, and all my food and everything else. So I start I, my main pack is a Kafaru with the Muskeg 7,000 on it. Cause that muskeg has a water repellent. Basically it's not completely waterproof, but it's a pretty water repellent bag. So I'm not worried about my stuff getting super wet. If it rains on me before yeah. I can put my rain fly and cover on. And then as far as the camera gear that I'm taking in, I'm usually, if I'm filming, I'm taking two cameras and it's going to be my R2 is the backup and my R3 is my main. And that's going to be running usually a 70 to 200 with the F 2.8, even though it's a heavy lens to be taken back there. Is, I've cut is that a Sony or a Canon lens. lens? That's the Sony one. Sony lens. Okay. So you're running straight Sony glass too. Ooh, price, yeah. Price, you know, they got some deep oh, pockets over there. I like that. No, no, it's not deep pockets. <laughs> it's just like. <laughs> no, that Sony yeah, glass. I, I, just, that Sony, I love that. God, that Sony that glass one, is so expensive. Holy crap. It's so expensive. Yeah. That's the one I just broke in Greenland too. Oh God, fixed. dude, that's awful. So, the, oh, it was, I about cried. <laughs> it wasn't me that did it either. I was, I was going up the guy that I was filming had already shot his muskox. So I was going up to like, just rabbit hole really quick. I was going up to film this other guy that we were hunting with. And so I was like, Hey, we'll leave this on the long lens. Cause you're about a hundred, 150 yards away. He knows how to run a camera. And then, uh, I guess when he was sitting there and he was walking back, he set it down for a second and a gust of wind came over and knocked over the tripod. Oh man. Um, yeah so that that was rough and then that same day my r2 got all wet and soaked and so my screen stopped working it was just a good time um yeah but then so i have the r2 and then i'll have my r or i have the r3 set up that way and i'll have the audio up with that and i'm running a beach tech that just goes underneath it that has xlr ports mm-hmm. and i'm just switched over from that because that is heavy dude that's adding five pounds yeah it's making it by the time it's all said and done it's probably the weight of a fs7 really with the way that i have it set up yeah and but taking that that other beach tech off and putting on just the uh the dual audio splitter on top 
that cuts it down by the five pack because that weighs nothing. So then I'll have a shotgun mic and I'll be running my wireless mics directly into that. And it makes it way lighter for the audio. So what, way are, you, what are you saying is your total pack weight when you're going in? Oh, dude, when I did, when I did that backcountry sheep hunt last year for Santino in Alaska, it was about 65 pounds mm. going straight up the mountain. Jesus. And that's with no, and that's if you don't kill anything, you don't have to pack anything out with it. Yeah. 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 So when we came, when I came down the mountains, the Santino was packing out the meat and then our packer wasn't worth a thing. And our guide carried a lot of weight too, but I carried about most of my camp and Santino's camp and you know, Cassandra helped too, but it was a, it was a heavy pack. I bet it was about a hundred pounds coming down the mountain and I bet Santino was probably 150. Jesus, 150 was, pound pack. I don't yeah, think, I, I, I think I might've had 80 or 90 on my back at one point and it was all downhill. So I don't even want to, I don't even want to. Luckily that was, luckily that was a downhill and then flat when we got to the bottom and we, that there's just a cool wrecks picture your, I took of them crossing. Wreck, yeah, wrecks oh, your knees, man. Going down destroyed, like that. Dude. Oh my gosh. Oh, crushes it. Crushes it. I, can I think imagine. I'd almost rather go up. Oh, I, as much from a fat boy from Georgia, I would rather go up than go down that far. Because <laughs> going up, you can at least you know you can stop and get your breath a little bit, but it doesn't kill my legs near as bad as going down. And, I, I and I've got good knees. You. you know, I've never had a problem with my knees, but man, that freaking any weight on your back going down sucks. Yep. Yeah. The uh, I I really learned to use my tripod, and then I make sure I take trekking poles. Those yeah. are uh, those are a lifesaver when it comes to the knees on stuff. No doubt, that's something that that we've added to our you know our pack list here in the last couple of years, and it is a big game changer. So, what is the um, you've done most of your filming happens um, western, correct? Yeah, I'd say ninety nine. But I I think I've told you this before. You couldn't pay me to sit in a white tail stand yeah. as a cameraman. So if have you ever no. done much eastern stuff at all? It must you know. Uh, Tree as stand. far as filming, no, 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 not tree stand filming. I, all my tree stand time is if I'm going to sit in a tree stand, I'm going to be shooting the animal. I, got <laughs> I, I love filming. There's a lot of hunts I'd rather be on where I'd rather be the cameraman than the hunter. Yeah. Whitetail is definitely not one of them. Yeah. Mm-mm. Well, nope, see, I mean, and that's, that's kind of, cause I mean, I'm the, I say I'm the complete opposite. We do a lot more Western stuff than I used to do. You know, my early in my career, that's all I did. I mean, I spent 95% of my time sitting in a tree stand behind the camera, you know, and it is an absolute grind. It's a mental grind. It's not, it's not near as, it's not physical at all, really, other than trying to not get cold. And then it's just a mental grind, you know, and that was kind of what I wanted to kind of do the comparison, you know, whereas I think it's the, the total opposite for Western. I think Western's, it's, it's a mental grind, but it's way more physical. And then you jump to the whitetail thing and, if you can walk a couple hundred yards out of the truck and climb up a tree or, you know, climb into a ground blind, then the only, the only thing you really have to get over is staying warm and riding the hole. Exactly. Exactly. And even with my Western mindset, when I am walking those couple hundred yards, I'm like, well, what if we could find a spot where we could get further away and have like a one mile hike in? And yeah. <laughs> that's how my mind, that's how my Western mind works when I'm doing stuff. And it's not better. It wouldn't be better. Like I, I have to tell myself, look, that's unless you're hunting like a highly pressured public land spot, it's not going to be better for hiking further. Yeah, no, so. it's it, it's such a and, and I try and explain that to guys around here because most of the guys that I run around with here, you know, buddies from way back when college and everything else is trying to explain to them the difference is you know they've grown up and all they know is whitetails and a little bit of turkey hunting. 
And I'm like, dude, there is no no other animal on this planet that you hunt like whitetails. It's the only deer that, you know, it's the only animal that gets hunted like that. Everything else, it's moving, it's calling, it's covering ground, it's glassing, it's all of these things. It's interactive. And that's why I think, I think, that's why I think whitetails is dying is because it isn't interactive. It's hard to get kids to sit there and to watch and to be still and to not get cold. Whereas you can take them on a duck hunt or you can take them on a bow fishing trip or you can take them on a mule deer pronghorn elk hunt where they're moving. They're actually, you know, they're in action. They can see animals. They can hear animals. They can do all those things. And it's, it's so, it's so, I, I want my kids to be able to experience that one of these days, you know, because we, they grow up here and, you know, they like to watch deer and stuff. But it's just a, it's a, it's a completely different animal. Oh, I agree, dude. I completely agree. Going on this hunt, it was funny. My five-year-old who's been going on these, he's been dragging me duck hunting. It hasn't been the other way around. He wants to go duck hunting. And he's like, oh, I want to come sit in the tr- in a tree stand with you. I'm like, no, you don't, buddy. Like you, <laughs> no, you don't. No, I want you to have fun. I want all of his experiences right now to be as positive as possible so that he loves it and he does. He's obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. And I want to keep that up until he gets to the point where the mental grind can be. Like I, he, I, we failed a lot more, which has been good. And I want him to learn that too, that you fail a lot more when you're hunting than when you're than actually killing stuff. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, I still am making those experiences as possible positive as possible to keep them engaged with it and loving it and i'm not putting them in a tree stand yet yeah <laughs> well it's it's so. it can be good i mean if you've got a place like a texas or a kansas or an oklahoma where they're going to see a lot of deer and it's not going to be super cold then it's a great place to get a kid out to you know experience a whitetail hunt but it's also one of those things to where you know i grew up which i mean i grew up in an area where we we had some deer but, I mean, it wasn't loaded with deer. There's not any anymore. Like, I'd hate to have to take my kids and sit in a deer stand now because it they, they wouldn't like it. They wouldn't enjoy it. And I want, and I want to put that best foot forward, and that's hard to do. Um, well, another thing, you know, we talked about your, you know, some of the alpha bow hunting challenges and stuff. How, how important would you say if you had to kind of, I guess, not really rank, but kind of compare camera skills or – people skills or physicality when you're doing some of these backcountry hunts. Like, you know, the physical aspect of them is, you know, if somebody can't do the physical, they can't even get there to do it. Um, you know, kind of, kind of talk about that, you know, talk about how physical some of that stuff is when you're toting that in, you're having to go that far, because I think that some people, something that a lot of people don't understand is when you do a Western hunt, it is on your feet, carrying weight, and then you have to be, in shape enough to still have kind of kind of your 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 wits about you to be able to produce good content yeah and not only that um you gotta not only are you having a lot of heavy weight on your back you're running up in front of the person that you're filming to get the shots of them hiking and all that stuff and get the b-roll or you're sitting behind you're filming something pretty and then you got to hump up the mountain and catch up to that person um I, I'm not sure what I would put more of an emphasis on the first thing with any backcountry hunter. You got to have that never quit attitude and that positive attitude all the time. I had a buddy from my fire department hunt with me this year that about day six, he looked at me and he goes, how the F are you so positive on a hunt like this? <laughs> Cause it'd been six days and we'd only seen one elk. Yeah. 
And he's like, how are you so positive right now? So that positive mental attitude is probably number one. But after that, dude, the physical fitness is huge. You have to be in good enough physical shape to be able to do what I was talking about, running up, running around, hiking that extra weight because you are, you're going to have extra weight. That person, your, your hunter is going to have their pack and their food and then their, their weapon, but your camera gear, at least mine weighs more than whatever their weapon is. Yeah. So you're hiking in more weight with all your batteries and then you're charging and all that. Cause I didn't go over, I do take in a solar charger and then a bunch of extra battery packs and batteries and all that fun stuff for it too. Um, luckily with both my jobs, I'm, I'm an occupational athlete and that's how I look at it. I'm not a professional athlete, but I am occupational athlete for the fire department. I have to be in the best physical shape I can for my guys and my women firefighters. I say guys, you know, it goes both ways. Yeah, for sure. And then for, for who I'm filming, I have to be in the best physical shape that I can be so that I can keep up and so that I'm not waiting. My goal when I started filming was I wanted to be able to go film somebody like Cameron Haynes. And specifically, I wanted to go film Cameron Haynes on a back hunt when I started um, and not have him wait for me and not have and never have somebody wait for me. The only time someone has had to wait for me is that little freak of an animal man, Brian Barney. We were hiking <laughs> in and I just got done with the caribou hunt in Alaska and I came back here and it wasn't that I wasn't physically keeping up, but I cramped up so bad. I literally fell over on the side of the mountain oh, man. when we were almost where we were backpacking in. And I was looked at him like, just go. I'll catch up when my legs <laughs> stop cramping and we'll just go for now, but I'll catch up. So I've basically reached my goal. I've never had somebody out hike me with all my camera gear and all my pack mm -hmm. and stuff. That's awesome. If you, since now that you've gotten to, you're kind of getting to do both, you get to freelance and produce content and you're being in front of the camera, some for Outback Outdoors. If you have, and, and this is, this might, this might get some people butthurt, but which, which one of those roles would you say is the harder to do creating the content, being the guy behind the camera or being the guy in front of it? Oh man. Um, I feel more pressure as being the hunter, but I think the actual, the harder part is definitely being the cameraman. For sure. Like running the camera, being the field producer is definitely the harder part. You're when you're the field producer, you're, you're waking up. Usually be, when I try to, I try to be one of the first guys up making coffee and getting all, making sure my camera gear is ready to go. And then you're out all day and you come back and the hunter is going back and chilling and the field producer is out dumping content, getting the, getting the batteries charged, getting the mics ready, getting everything. It's usually an extra two hours of work when you get back to camp. And just making sure everything is good and making sure everything's organized and ready to go for the next day. I definitely make it harder on, I'd say it's the cameraman by far. Well, yeah, one of the, I, one of the things that I think people don't understand is you have to, when you, and I'm putting this in terms of mostly, well, I guess it works for everything, but especially on a whitetail hunt, when I'm filming a whitetail hunt and there's an animal coming in, I have to be a producer and a hunter. You know, I have to, I have to not only, understand where my camera is, you know, is, uh, am I in focus, you know, uh, you know, is it exposed correctly? You know, uh, you know, do I have it, you know, the framing's correct, you know, all these things, you know, did I hit record? Um, am I listening? Am I listening to my audio? Am I following the animal? All of these things as the producer, but also in my head, I have to remember I've got to be a hunter right now. I can't move too much. I have to be slow with my movements. I have to make sure there's no does looking at me. I have to make sure, you know, our wind's not shifting. You know, you have to, essentially, when that happens, 
you have to be both people. And sometimes you have to be a third person. You have to be that when you're hunting with kids and you know this, sometimes you have to be a cheerleader. Sometimes you have to be the voice. Oh, yeah. of, sometimes you have to be the voice of reason. Sometimes you have to be the only only guy in the situation that's got his head screwed on straight because you you don't have a bow in your hand or a gun in your hand. So you know that if if whoever's holding that gun or that bow doesn't calm down and make a good shot, well, everything we just did was for nothing. You know, so yep. you, you have to play two, sometimes three roles, depending on, you know, what kind of situation that you're in. And I think I've, that's, I mean, I've learned that the hard way, but I, I think you're 100% right that the best cameraman field producers in this industry are hunters themselves. And it's very evident in their work. I mean, if you look at Aaron Hitchens, you know, that guy's a hunter and the cameraman yeah. and that they, like he can run, he does both extremely well. Everybody at rock house motion really does. Oh, gosh, and like yeah. Mark Seacat, like you got these guys that are just Dustin Etheridge. Um, like when you look at Dustin's photos of waterfowl stuff, you know that he is a waterfowl freak and a, um, and an amazing cameraman photographer. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very evident. And then you're right. Going into the coaching, I tried doing it with like a family member where, you oh, know, yeah. like, so with my mom, when she shot that mountain goat, me coaching her in the back, Hey, you got to breathe. You got to settle that pin. You have to make sure that this shot counts. So, so you are, you're the voice of reason for these people. When you see them getting amped up, part of it is you've probably, you're on like four or five days of the hunt. And if it's the first opportunity they've had and you don't want this to get screwed up. So you got to make sure that it gets good too. Yeah. That, that they calm down so they make a good shot. Yeah. I want, I want that person to be as successful as they do. You know, I don't, I didn't plan on, you know, a week of my life away and running around, you know, whether I get paid, whether you kill something or not, but I would much rather you kill something than not, you know, and I definitely don't want you to wound something. I don't want, you know, I don't want it to be an unsuccessful hunt. Uh, and I don't ever want to be the reason why it is unsuccessful. So I try and always, and that was hard for me in the beginning is to be able to step out of that hunter role and be that coach, but also, you know, you got to, you essentially got to wear three or four hats. And, uh, that's, that's a really hard thing for some people to do is to separate those two things uh, to being, being yeah. the hunter versus being the producer versus being the coach. And then how do you do all three and then still do an effective job of running a camera? I agree. I agree. So, Definitely got to be the cameraman first, oh, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. So, what is what's the what's the what's your favorite hunt? Your favorite piece of content? Which I think I know the answer to this that you've ever done. Ah, dude, uh, that's that's hard. The my favorite hunt that I've done, like just straight up hunt. Um, dude, I love sheep hunting. I love goat hunting. I've filmed everything except for a stone sheep hunt. Um, so desert bighorn doll um those were all awesome i i think i got to divert to like my mom's mountain goat hunt was really yeah, fun that's what i figured just yeah. because just because it was it was hunting with my mom i i filmed my wife's hunt too and that was fun um both of those are def- probably my top hunts like my favorite hunts my wife was miserable on her hunt it was way harder <laughs> than my mom so it was it was fun to do that and experience that with her and like see her push herself past where she wanted to go especially physically and mentally and like both are we had just had our second kids so he was really young both our kids were really little and she didn't want to be away from them for that long so that was really fun to see my wife push herself past that and then be successful not only be successful but with her bow because she had taken a rifle on that hunt too um and was at the point where she was ready to pick up the rifle and, and shoot it with the rifle instead so i'd say both those hunts are probably 
probably in the top as far as ones that I've filmed. That's very cool. Um, but also hunting straight up, just filming a hunt where like I was there as the cameraman, not like helping and stuff. Ah, man. I, I think Greenland where I just got back from was definitely at the top just because it was so awesome. Just everything about that hunt was an adventure. It was either green, it'd either be Greenland or that doll sheep hunt I filmed last year. Very cool. Both those were fun and completely different levels. All right. So complete opposite. What's the biggest horror story? Uh, well, I kind of already told you my Greenland horror story about breaking all my camera gear. That's the well, so most camera gear I broke. I broke. So it's the Greenland's your favorite and your least favorite all in the same thing? It, 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 it probably is because I broke so much camera gear on that hunt. Um, I, I, I broke that 70 to 200. It's $2,600 lens. Oh. I broke my A7R2, got ruined because of weather. I broke a mic because of weather. Um, it was, yeah, it was a rough trip for my gear. Um, that's that's one I've never had like a real bad horror story of like people that I'm filming. I've heard other people's horror stories. Well, um, no, I'm not talking about people. I'm talking like, about just like nothing went right. The hunt was hard. The weather was bad. The you know we had an outfitter that was a total douche one time. You know, I've, gosh, I've got a freaking laundry list of them. Yeah, no, I've been I've been really lucky on who I've been filming as far as all that goes and stuff. Um, and who I've been with, I've always been in camp with some really awesome people that have a positive attitude. I've been on a lot of hunts to where if I'd been filming somebody that had a negative attitude, it would have really affected it in a in a different way and made the hunt a lot less fun. Yeah. Um, but I always I that's my main goal too. I always try to be the person with the positive attitude. Um, that positive attitude can get you through a lot, in well, my not, opinion. But not only that, and um, I've and I've said this on the podcast before, the positive attitude is so important because if you are the guy, I don't care how talented you are. I don't, if you're the guy in camp that's negative, I don't care how talented you are. You're not going to get invited back. You're going to lose. Oh, you're going to lose work. You're going to lose um, opportunities. Uh, you're going to lose a lot just by not being positive. Even when there's times to not be positive, you are going to lose a lot more than you're going to gain just by being negative in camp. Oh, so just a completely different way of looking at it too. So I'm a roving lieutenant at my fire department because I don't have a firehouse yet. I go to a different firehouse every shift. And so I'm with a different crew and it's really easy to become bitter at a big city fire department because we're running a lot of bullshit. People call 911 for the dumbest things. Oh, I can imagine. And when you're with a crew that's positive, it doesn't matter how much BS you're running on. It's fun to go to work, but I, there's a couple firehouses that I rove into where the guys are not positive and there's some bitter ones. And those are the ones where I got to make sure I'm drinking some caffeine on the way to work and going in there with the smile and setting the attitude to where we're going to have fun today and we're going to be positive. And when someone starts complaining, the first thing I do is point out all the positive stuff that we have going on for us that day and change that attitude around so that nobody gets into that bitter attitude. Cause when someone's bitter, you're right. Nobody wants to be around them and it's infectious and oh, it's gosh, a drain. It's and, but when you're positive, that can be infectious too. And that's where I try to be. And that's where I try to throw myself into it. Yeah. Well, and, the, and it's, well, it's much easier said than done. I've been there. I've been one, I've been one of the guys that wanted to be Debbie Downer and it is hard, but you have to, it has, it's a constant fight it's a constant struggle it's a constant uh it's got to be in the front of your mind the whole time like don't be that guy exactly because i've been around that guy it's not a fun it's not a fun place to be 
I, so, I completely agree, dude. I completely agree. But as far as like being in camp with someone like that, or so, I really haven't been, dude. It's been. Well, yeah, you've been lucky really to... lucky, and I'm I'm also lucky to where I can put myself in a position with my filming of. I try to only pick the fun hunts. Yeah. Or the hunts that I see are gonna be really fun to me anyway. Now that sounds that sounds like something I can get behind. <laughs> so that's been that's been nice too. If I'm filming somebody, it's usually because they come recommended from another cameraman of hey these are fun people to hang out with or i know them and they're they're good to hang out with and and be in camp with and so i've been lucky as far as that goes sweet well um how important would you say kind of segueing into what you're just saying that you kind of most of your clients and stuff through word of mouth and you know they're nice people how important are relationships in this business uh 99% yeah. In my opinion, if you look at it, it's not usually it's not like probably the most talented person that's getting a lot of the jobs, but it's somebody that is easy to work with and easy going and that's fun to be around. Um, same thing for me with fire department stuff. I would much rather be with a crew that's really good at their job and fun to be around instead of um, the most studly crew in the world that's some bitter downer bs people and it's like why would you want to put yourself to be with that crew when you can be with the crew that's really fun to be with that's really good at their job and still going to go out there and yeah they may not be like 10 out of 10s but they're 9 out of 10s and i'd much rather be hanging out with a bunch of 9 out of 10s that are really positive because that makes them 10s instead of the most talented person in the world that's a complete a-hole yeah i i i just don't I, I see no reason to be around that person. And I think other people have that same and successful people have that same mentality. Yeah. Well, in this, in this industry, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fairly, I, I guess it's a big industry, but the, the movers and shakers, it's pretty small. And if you are yep. that, if you are that guy, then the word gets around and nobody wants to work with you. Um, oh, it, very easily. I know people that have burned relationships in this industry and then within a couple of years everybody knows about it and they're not getting work they had to go do something else and it's it's crazy to see that it's a small industry and i've complained about it before it's like ah man this is just a bunch of people hooking up their buddies but at the same time for the most part you have to be good at what you're doing and then still have that relationship aspect as well it's a it's you know it's several tiered you know you you don't like i say all the time i'm not the best producer i'm not the best editor I'm a good communicator. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a likable person. I do a good job. I answer my phone. I do all the little things right. Am not am I the best at any of them? No, no, not at all. But just because I'm good at all of them and I make myself available and I'm not a douche in camp, people call me. And I think that goes for yep. everybody out there that does well. I think they have have all those aspects. And it's really hard. And I've said this before. It's most people that are creative it's really hard for them to be anything other than creative. They're not very good with people. They're not very good with timelines. They're not very good with deadlines. They're really good at being creative. And that's great. And that's, that's, yeah. that's great and all, but in order to run a business, in order to make money, you have to be able to do all those other things too. I, I completely agree, dude. Being able to execute goes right along with those relationships. I've never backed out on a hunt. I've never, once I've agreed to a hunt, I've always done it. I've never come up with an excuse not to go on a hunt or double book to hunt or anything like that. So the fact that I've never had to cancel a hunt says speaks volumes. Whereas I know a lot of super creative people that either 
find they they book one hunt and then another opportunity comes up that they think they can do something cooler with and so then they back out of it if that makes sense to go oh, do something else I've heard, yeah. um or just straight up not showing up to the trailhead i've 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 picked up a couple jobs where people have called me and be like oh my god i can't believe my cameraman didn't show up or i just had a cameraman bail i'm leaving in 24 hours can you make it and i can say heck yeah i can be there and i can do it and i can't tell you how many of those phone calls i've gotten I and I, I get those phone calls all the time where it's like, hey, sorry, man, I'm booked. And yeah. I know this year, I've, I've I, one guy's probably called you three times for me because he's called me three times. You're always the first guy I recommend. And I appreciate I'm that. like, hey, dude, like I'm booked right now. You're calling me in the middle of September. Like, yeah. I'm surprised I even answered my phone. Yeah. Sorry. It's not happening. Um, yeah. We usually for. Yeah. We've had probably we've had probably 40 something days that we couldn't do this year. Cause Ryan and I were both already booked that somebody calls and says, had a guy back out. We're leaving in under five days. Most of the time it's under five days. Oh yeah. And it's oh, like, man, I, this time of the year, I can't make that happen. You know, no. I, I can't, I can't drop, you know, clients that I've had for years to go do this. You may be paying more great, but I mean, still it's like, that's, that's, that's not what it's about for me. You know, I've got, I, I completely agree. I'd rather keep the relationships I have and keep people happy than make that quick buck. And I think that's what a lot of these other people are doing is, you know, well, you know what it's coming down to is there's so few reliable, good people out there, you know, on the production side, on the field production side, there's not that many. And on the editing side, there's even less. Oh dude. Yeah. yeah I understand the editing side. I hate editing. <laughs> I have to, I have to, I have to be highly caffeinated and I have to be in the right mindset to sit down and edit for longer than an hour. Otherwise I get really bored real fast with it, even with making stuff. Yeah. I would say somebody There's, that's, that's like you that, that works out and does a lot of, you know, a lot of moving and grooving. It would be hard to slow down and sit and stare at a computer screen. Yeah. I, it's funny. That's where I need the most caffeine is so I can let my mind focus on that. <laughs> um, what is, what do you think, and this is going to be a kind of a tougher question. And this is kind of something I just kind of wanted to talk to you about. What do you feel like kind of the state of the outdoor industry? When I say the state of the outdoor industry, I'm more talking about the content, where content is going, television, web. Um, there's a lot more podcasts now. There's a lot more web shows, the, the film festivals, you know, kind of where do you feel is the state of everything like right now? Where do you, you know, what's the kind of the vibe that you're getting from the outdoor industry? Uh, there's way too much emphasis on social media. In my opinion, mm -hmm. I get that you can do targeted marketing. I just, I, it probably part of it is me jaded. Cause I really hate social media. Well, I, hate I, being I, I think the time. I don't know of anybody that loves social media, uh, you know, other oh. than maybe a 16 year old girl. But other than that, I, I mean, I don't think any, I think we look at it as a necessary evil. You know, I would say half to more than half of our business revolves around social media now, whether that's the yeah. promotion side of it or the content that we're actually creating. But my thing is eventually that bubble is going to have to burst, you know, eventually there's going to have to be a different solution where, you know, I don't, I don't do any TV anymore. Um, I haven't done, I mean, we freelance and do some freelance for television, but as far as editing and full blown production for television shows, haven't done that in two and a half years. And, uh, and I say that I don't miss it. There's parts of it that I miss. I don't miss sitting behind a computer for two weeks straight for one edit, but, yeah. um, 
I love, in my opinion, the way it's going right now is it's the timeline is shrinking to where used to you create a television show and you have six to nine months to edit that show that you shot. Now we're shooting a show and the timeline is two weeks. Well, now we're having clients want those turned in a week for a web show. And now we're having pictures that I'm taking that they want the day of in camp. So to me, the timeline is shrinking shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. So not, And I think it's important now, especially for us, kind of our competitive advantage, is we do all of those things. We take the pictures, we do the editing, we do all that, and we don't have to source any of that stuff. But what that's creating a problem for us is it's making our timeline shorter. We have less and less time to do things. Are you noticing that at all? I am noticing that, but at the same time for me, it's uh, almost everything I film is TV still mm-hmm. and TV based as their prime source for it. Or they're that it's like that sheep hunt last year was filmed for to make specifically make a film for it. And so that, that I there's a little bit more of a, you know, a, a leg period on that. You can put more time into it. It's got to be more polished than what this like YouTube content or like this raw social media content, which I, re- I enjoy the heck out of it. I'd rather watch something a little bit more raw personally mm-hmm. than uh, it either has to be really, really polished and real nice and pretty, or it has to be the other end of the spectrum where it's kind of right. I enjoy the raw stuff on YouTube as long as it's good. So where do you consume most of your content? And if you had to pick one social media or one, you know, television, what, where, where do you consume most of it? I really don't dude. Um, as far as like hunting, our outdoor content. I don't, I don't watch hunting TV shows unless it's somebody that I know. And for some reason, or like a, a, I'll, every once in a while, I watch the ones that I, I did. Or like if uh, if Willie from Pure Hunting sends me, "Hey, here's a link to the episode. Watch it. Tell me what you think." I watch that. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, dude, I I stay away from it. Most of the stuff that I watch, if I'm watching something, it's gonna be I love Yellowstone. Um, oh, I'm watching. The, I'm watching. I'm watching. I'm watching the Mandalorian right now. Um, I watch stuff like that if I'm gonna just unwind and watch something and like get my creative inspiration for something else yeah if that makes sense same here but i i'm not getting it from hunting tv i can tell you that right now what about what about like do you like if you had to pick a social media platform a facebook instagram youtube where where do you feel like you spend most of your time if you if you spend uh, instagram any, instagram instagram just because i can scroll through and look at photos and then i get off yeah um i i like looking at pretty photos and i guess i do get inspiration from that but it's usually not hunting people again like there's that the few like the first one that pops up aaron hitchens and anything with rock house motion they just put out just ridiculously awesome photos mm-hmm. um and video so i'll watch that i'll watch uh stuff from ccat i follow your guys's stuff which you put out good stuff not to swing from your nuts too bad <laughs> but um other than that i have I'm, to use I'm that i like that I'm following straight up like photographers that are doing stuff for National Geographic. Yeah. I'm following, uh, I, I hate that he doesn't post enough, but if you want to name somebody in like hunting that posts stuff, but does National Geographic stuff like Brandlin Shockey. Yeah. Um, or his main guy, uh, Matt Zinnel. Have you ever met Matt? I have not. Dude, frick, that guy is a stud when it comes to it, but he also doesn't post on social media either because he's not on either, which is part of why I like him. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, stuff like that, dude, is probably where I'm at. I got you. 
My yeah. favorite hunting show to actually watch is still got to be uh, Uncharted. Yeah. I love it. It's, but that's that's the one that I can watch and get inspiration from. Oh, it's it's extremely well shot. It's a little slow for my taste, but I love well shot, well thought out, well produced things that don't they don't put their emphasis and they don't put their uh, they don't use interviews or voiceover as a crutch. They make sure that they produce good content in the field. And I, I admire the exactly. Heck out of it. I admire the exactly. Heck out of that. Um, what is uh. And since you do travel a good bit and you travel out of the state, what's a couple of things that you do travel-wise? Some travel tips. I had one the other day that I told Ryer that I forgot. Oh, I'll, I remembered it. So what's some things that you do when you travel that maybe can help somebody if they're traveling to film or traveling to hunt? If I'm, if I'm filming like out of state, taking a plane, my camera gear comes with me uh, uh, in a backpack and it comes on the plane and it's always oversized than what it's supposed to be. And oh, I've yeah. had once I've had one stewardess say something and I explained to her how much camera gear I had in there and what it was. I'm like, look, I'm a photographer. This is all my camera gear in here. I've had it I know people have had it stolen out of the luggage before and they've always been really accommodating. But I what I do is I pack it into little hard boxes inside. Mm-hmm. So that like when I went to Greenland, when I got on the plane, I literally unpacked my backpack. And then I'm like, here, you can check my backpack <laughs> because I know it's big. But then all my camera gear was actually in the plane with me physically. Yeah. Um, that's a great pat. That's a great way to do it. it but you got to make sure that, hey, they're, they know that they're probably going to give you a hard time. And I've been given like a hard time multiple times before I was able to do that. I'm like, hey, you can you can curb check this, whatever you want to call it, not curb check it, but uh, do the, the check on. You can take it, put it underneath now. But all my actual expensive gears here with me on the plane. Yeah, that's a, that's my favorite way to do it. Uh, I get it. Sometimes people are doing like really big pr- productions; they can't get away with that. But for me, since I'm everything I'm taking, I'm backpacking in most of the time on my hunts. I have to be able to have it on my back anyway. So I take that's my favorite travel tip for it. Yeah, is to be able to take it all with you. Or if you are taking, if you are going somewhere, the best way to make sure your stuff doesn't get stolen, if you're flying within the U.S., throw a gun in your case, check it with TSA, and then know they're going to watch that and make sure no one's opening it and stealing stuff because okay. they don't want to be responsible for a gun getting stolen. Yeah, that's, so that's even if really I'm going one. somewhere where I don't need a gun or whatever, I'll throw my Glock 43 in with it almost every single time in my in an SKB case and then put camera gear in with it with that because I know that it's not getting stolen that way. Yeah. That is a really good tip. The the one that I had for Ryer, I think it was for Ryer the other day. Yeah, it was for Ryer because he told me I should have said this on the podcast, was um, when you're in an airport, because we always fly out of Atlanta, and you're usually flying out of Denver, and both are ginormous pain-in-the-butt airports. Yep. And they have 1,000 gates and terminals and this, that, and the other. And if you're in a hurry or you don't can't find one of the boards, all you have to do is type in your airline and your flight number into Google and it will give you a real time gate update of where you're at in the airport. Oh, I like that one. Yeah. I like that. one. So if you're flying Southwest or you're flying Delta, you put in DL 383, you know, Delta flight 383. So you just put in Google and the Google search DL 383 and hit the search function. And it'll literally pull up the gate that, that, that you were going to like, it'll say, you know, flights out of Atlanta to, you know, Denver, and it's at gate B6, and it will tell you that in the Google search. So that way, if you, you can't find a board or you need to do it in a hurry, you can do it in a Google search on your phone. 
I like that one. Yeah, and it's and it's like okay. real time updated. So if they change the gate, Google changes it automatically too. So you've got the actual information right then in your hand. I learned that from a guy in. I was in an airport on a tram going to a gate, and I wasn't sure I was going to the right gate, and I didn't have a whole lot of time. He's like, type it into your phone. He's like, it's real-time updated. And I'm like, that's a really good tip. And that was years ago, so I've used that one a bunch. So figured I'd throw that one in there. Um, what's what's a tip for somebody that's wanting to get into freelancing like that you like you did? You know, is it do you need to focus on the gear? Do you need to focus on relationships? If you don't have relationships, how do you get them? Like, what's what's some of your you know, if you had some advice for somebody wanting to get into it? Man, I, I would say don't be afraid to reach out to some people that you look up to for, for tips, but not, not, don't ask them stupid stuff. Um, you can learn a lot off of YouTube and be self-motivated, be self-motivated enough to where you're learning a lot off of YouTube. But then when you run into something, don't be afraid that you just don't quite understand or grasp, send five people the same question. And one of them will probably get back to you. That's what's nice about this industry is a lot of people will get back to you. Uh, my cameraman for a couple of days out in Oklahoma or in uh, Kansas right now is from Oklahoma. And he's a guy that wanted to get into filming and he, he heard me on one podcast and then watched my Badlands film uh, a couple of years ago. And he just sent me a message and he was like, Hey man, I know you're busy. I don't want to take too much of your time, but can you help explain this concept to me? And I just sent him a message, hey, shoot me a phone call because this is too much for me to type. Mm-hmm. And he called me and I've I'll talk to, I've talked to Levi. His name's Levi Mayfield. Super good dude. He's a taxidermist, so he loves hunting anyway. But he wants to get into filming. He really loves filming. And so I there was a time where I was talking to Levi once a month on the phone for a good hour and explaining stuff and going over editing with him and just little tips here and there. But he was he's self-motivated enough to where he's watching the YouTube videos. He's Googling it himself. He's trying to figure it out. And then he just calls me every once in a while to, Hey, I just want to make sure I have this concept correct. And, or he'll be getting conflicting information and just get my feel on it, what I like to do. And so then it came up to it, uh, for Kansas, one of our cameramen wasn't able to stay as long as we thought he was going to be able to, we needed somebody for a couple of days. And I said, Hey, let's have Levi come out. And so that's how he got a gig coming out with us is actually by being somebody that I've helped along the way, which was re- really cool to see. And he did a good job sitting in the tree stand. And it was nice to have somebody that whitetail hunts because I'm not a big whitetail hunter. Yeah, <laughs> so it's sure. funny. I was, he was asking me camera questions and I was asking him whitetail hunting questions. <laughs> yeah. It's that button. Completely so opposite. if this deer comes in, like <laughs> that's pretty yeah, funny. Dude, it was so funny. It was so funny. I was like, you know, this is the exact opposite of the way most of us should go. Yeah, no doubt. Which that's, that's, I think that's funny. Um, the, 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 the shoes on the other foot for once. That's awesome. Yeah, it was cool. Well, um, are you doing, are you going to do a Badlands film this year? Man, I haven't even really thought of it. And then I just realized that like submission is due in a month, but but my personal hunt, most of my hunting this year was all filmed for Outback Outdoors. So anything that I normally do, it wasn't really anything to do. And I'm trying to be as committed to OO as a co-host as possible. Mm -hmm. And I know that Trevin has some ideas and we're working on some stuff to do an Outback Outdoors submission. I do have an idea that I have some stuff filmed for that I need to throw together and probably put it in the short section. Cause I really am disappointed in the short films there anyway. But I think that, uh, it's completely, it's not a normal film idea. It's something that I've been wanting to do. And I have probably 
six paragraphs on my phone of like funny shit to do. And it's going to be more comedy than anything. And if it, hopefully it translates and nobody gets too butthurt about it. Dude, that's, <laughs> that's the, that's the best ones. So we, we, we filmed that Idaho elk hunt where we literally, yeah. and, and I guess I might be giving something away on here, but oh, well, um, we want to edit that for the Badlands, but we do not have an elk on camera the entire trip. And it's like, okay, do we just go ahead and edit this thing? Cause it's shot well, it's done well, produced well, but there's nothing, nothing happens because we all, we keep running into people and um, we, I mean, we hunted hard, but we're, we're debating putting See, essentially I, a comedy I, together about that. I think you need to do it because too many people don't show the struggle. And I guarantee you there's oh, going to be struggle. people and there's going to be people in the audience that watch that and be like, Hey, that was my elk season. Yeah. God damn. <laughs> I hunted, the, I hunted hard for a week and didn't see an elk. Yeah. And that's something, and as long as you don't drag it out, like almost every single film does and it's hard. I do it. I'm, I'm extremely guilty of it when I'll, when I'll make a film myself and I send it to Trevin, he's one of my favorite guys to send it to because he's very real with me. And he says, Hey, it's 15 minutes. That'll be really good if it's six. Yeah. I'll be like, Hey, you just kicked me in the balls, dude. And he's like, no, I'm just being honest with you. That's a good six minute film. It's a it's way too long, 15 minute film. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go through and I'll cut and I'll get it to 10 and I'll cut and I'll get it to eight and then I'll get it to seven and I'll send it. And he's like, yeah, that's great. That's, you know, what did I tell you? Yeah. <laughs> so it's nice to have those people that you can bounce stuff. That's going to be honest and get it. So as long as you don't make it to where it's a 20 minute film without seeing an elk, but a five minute film without seeing an elk. Hell yeah. I'll watch that because that was my elk season this year. Yeah, no doubt. I sucked dude. Dude. I'm over four this year. I'm didn't kill a bear in Saskatchewan. Didn't kill a turkey in Florida. Didn't kill an elk in Idaho and didn't kill a deer in, Idaho, in Oklahoma. So I'm like, do you know what? 2019 is just not my year. Let's just go ahead and pack dude. it up and start over up again until- next year. Up until that muskox hunt, I was in this, and then now I was in the same boat. It was I, I screwed up a shot at a, a mule deer in Utah. Screwed up a stock on the only mule deer stock I had in Colorado. The elk season was horrible for me. The only bull that I called in was for Omar Crispy. Yeah. He he missed that because we he was in a tight spot. And man, my elk season was just rough. But then I got over to Greenland and guys started killing muskox, and that was fun. And then. The outfitter offered me a, a discounted rate for killing one, so I killed one too. So that turned my season around. That's awesome. How <laughs> how would you think about Crispy? Dude, Omar's awesome. He I is, love hanging out with that dude, guy. He's, I love Crispy. He's he's so much fun, dude, and such a good positive mental attitude. I throwing it out that way, or go with our same line that we've been talking about, same yeah. theme. He came out here the uh and if anybody needs re- if, if anybody needs a reason to be negative, he has the reason to be negative and he's never negative. Oh, he's not, dude. It's just so much fun. And my kids loved him because he came out here a couple weeks later and we went up to Estes Park and met him and stuff. And my kids just loved hanging out. He's just such a good dude, man. Oh, he, he is. really is. It was funny. My uh I was picking up my son from school one day and the teacher came out and she was like, uh and my brother, he's in the army. He just left for a helicopter flight school. And she goes, hey, um, so Easton was kind of concerned about his uncle just left for army stuff. And then your friend that just, he, he lost his leg in the army. And I was like, yeah, well, that happened in like 2008. So he's doing good. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> but he was talking about it. Easton thinks he's the coolest dude ever. I love it. Well, <laughs> Partially because it is. Well, but 
That is, uh, I had a lot of fun with him turkey hunting in Texas, and I'm hoping to get to do that again this year. But yeah, we had a we had a good time. He's a great guy. Well, dude, I appreciate the heck out of your time. We've been talking over an hour, but I I enjoyed it, and uh, good luck the rest of the year. And I will see you. you're going to be at ATA, right? I I'm trying to avoid it to be honest, dude. Uh, my favorite show is the Western Hunt Expo. See, I've never been. I, I've never been to that one. Dude, I'd like to come oh my to that god, one. the Western Hunt Expo is so much fun. When is I, when I is that? Let me put that on my calendar while I'm thinking about it. February fifteenth. Oh, that so it's the weekend of the NWTF, which is the big Eastern show here. Yes. Which I yeah. I like that show, but I would rather. Dude, Western Hunt Expo is so much fun. Where and where is it at? Salt Lake City. Okay, I love salt. I have a blast with that. So I have I I'm gonna be hitting Western Hunt Expo, and I got to talk to Trev, and he has an Iowa tag, and he said that if he doesn't tag out in Iowa this month, he's gonna be going back to Iowa for the late season, which is during ATA. So then we'd probably skip ATA show, I got you. and then maybe yeah. hit Shot Show for a couple of days. Oh, I'm not going to Western Shot. I hate See, shot, shot Show. Shot's fun to me because I can go walk around. If there's any meetings I need to get to, I go to a meeting, and then I just go gamble. <laughs> go do something else. <laughs> so I can I can duck out and be gone and people and the thing is people think you were at the show all day. That show that show is overwhelming. <laughs> it really is. Oh, um, just ve- Vegas but, periods overwhelming. Yeah, Vegas for about forty eight hours is fun. After that, it gets yeah. no fun. Um, but then I'd like to hit Sheep Show. Sheep Show is one I have not been to, but I really want to because it's right up my alley. If that's oh, what yeah. I want. If I had to pick one thing to do for the rest of my life, it'd be sheep or mountain goat hunting. So that's, I really need to go to that one and just hang out and enjoy that. And that's where you have the best odds of winning a sheep tag. Oh, really? And that's why I go to Western Hunt Expo too. I mean, most of it is like, yeah, I need to talk to people, but I go there to try to win hunting tag. I can't blame you there. So. Well, buddy, thank you for your time. And uh, Dude, I'll... thanks for having me on, man. I had a blast. I, I, I'm sure I'll see you at one of the shows. I'll keep texting you. You need to get out to Western Hunt. I know. That's fun. I, I, now that I know it's in Salt Lake, I might try and make that one because I do really if, – if it were up to me, I would elk hunt the rest of my life. I'm not an elk hunter, but it is by far my favorite thing to do. It's um, fun, dude. So that would be a fun. cool show. You need to go on a sheep hunt. That might change your mind. i gotta, I got to lose some weight before I do a sheep hunt. <laughs> I can fake my way through an elk hunt. I can't fake my way through a sheep hunt right now. Uh, it's fun. I enjoy it. All right, buddy. Well, thanks. I'll talk to you soon. Cool. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it. See ya. Redneck Tech Podcast is brought to you by Diamondback Covers, the absolute best cover you could ever spend your money on. If you need an insurance policy for all the expensive gear in the back of your truck, then you need a Diamondback Cover. Make the bed of your truck a vault with Diamondback.